And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, your word is living and active. And your cross and its power, Lord Jesus, redeems us even now. Let your word dwell in us richly. And let the life of your cross bring us new life even today. In Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Welcome everyone. We've been following along in Mark's gospel and if you haven't been able to tell, the disciples still aren't quite catching on. Do you remember being in school, for those of you who are older now and are not any longer in school, and maybe for those of you who are in school, you'll recognize this. Do you remember when your teacher would say, there's no such thing as a dumb question? Because they want to honor all questions and let everybody ask. And the disciples, they don't, not the disciples, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, these two favored disciples of Jesus, it's not that they ask a dumb question, but it's they ask a question that belies their lack of understanding, that puts them in a position to be taught by Jesus, yet once again, what actually is going to happen in Jerusalem. And their question is this, Grant, well, first of all, they say, will you do for us whatever we ask? How many times, mom, dad, before they ask, they test it out. Can we do whatever we want to do before we ask you the actual question that we want to ask you? <laughs> Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus says, well, what do you want? And I love their boldness. It's the same kind of boldness that we just read about in Hebrews 4, that we can boldly come before the throne of grace to ask for grace with confidence to help us in our time of need. But there's something not quite right about James and John's question because they ask Jesus this. Grant us to sit at your right hand and at your left when you come into your glory. Now, James and John have been listening because they understand some of the context. Where are Jesus and his disciples headed? They're going up to Jerusalem. They've been out beyond the Jordan. 
Jesus has been prophesying of his death. They, they started in Caesarea Philippi. They made their way down. They went around, out beyond the Jordan. Now they're coming up around. They're headed towards Jericho. And they're going up towards Jerusalem. They're still in the wilderness. And they know that Jerusalem is the royal city. It's the city of glory. And maybe in James and John's mind, and maybe the other disciples' mind, Jesus is now going to the royal city to restore the royal throne of David. So Jesus, when we get there, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left. Let us, to get, let us sit in the place of power and the place of honor. Have we done enough to earn that? Come on, Jesus. It's us, the sons of thunder, James and John. But it's not a very good question because Jesus asks them a question back. Well, before that, he says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am to be baptized, you do not know what you're asking. The cup in the Old Testament, the cup of wine especially, many times was a metaphor for the wrath of God, for God's judgment that would be poured out upon people that were sinful and rebellious. Jesus says, are you able to drink that cup? Or similarly, are you able to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? In Greek parlance of the day, baptism would have been similar to an overwhelming death or being overwhelmed and submerged and dying suddenly. But I'm not sure that's the context that Jesus is speaking from. There was another baptism that was spoken of out in this area in the wilderness near the Jordan, and that was a baptism of John. And John's baptism was for what? Repentance of sins, but it was also a sign of judgment. Do you remember when John would preach and invite and tell people to come to baptism? Behold, his winnowing fork is in his, is in his hand. The axe already is laid to the foot of the tree. And when the Pharisees came to see John baptized, he said, what are you doing here, you brood of vipers? So there's this judgment on sin that is coming. And John's baptism proclaimed that. So Jesus says, in essence, the cup that I drink and the baptism with which I'm baptized, it's more than just identifying with sinners it's a signal that Jesus is giving that he will take upon himself not just a cruel and painful death, not just excruciating torture and rejection by the establishment of his people Israel, but he is going to be taking upon himself God's judgment for a sinful and rebellious people. What did the prophet Isaiah say? Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. 
and with his wounds we are healed. So Jesus' death is more than a martyr's death. And we hear Jesus explain that in images, in the cup and in the baptism. But James and John still don't quite understand, do they? Because what is their answer to Jesus' question? Are you able to drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism? We are able. And maybe at that point, they, like Peter, just before said, Lord, we'll go to death for you. We will die a martyr's death for you. But again, Jesus underscores this and says, you do not know what you are saying. In other words, James and John, other disciples, you do not understand the depth of the gospel. You do not understand the depths to which God the Father is sending me the greatness of which I am pouring myself out, as St. Paul would write in Philippians 2, about Jesus emptying himself. You do not understand the depths and the great lengths to which God will go. John would understand one day. Oh, how great is the love that God has lavished on us, that we might be called the sons and daughters of God. But at this point, they don't understand. And I'm not sure anybody understood. So their question is met with a stark response. It's met with a response that communicates the depth of the gospel. Jesus, in this moment, in this sort of moment where the disciples are feeling their way around the idea of authority in verse 40, even puts aside his own ability to have authority. And he says, to, for you to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to determine. Even though I'm sure he could do that, he puts that aside and leaves that to his father. And when the other ten hear James and John, they're happy that they were put in their place. Ha ha! No, they're indignant. They're totally frustrated because in, in the other disciples' mind, including St. Bartholomew, they're all thinking the same thing. Who's going to get to be at your right hand or your left hand when we go to restore the throne of David? Who's going to get to rule with you in this new messianic kingdom? Who's going to be in your glory? After hearing these three prophecies, of how Jesus, the specific way that the Son of Man will be rejected and tortured and killed and on the third day rise again, they still do not understand. And Jesus says, you have to be servant of all. That word servant, diakonos, or our word deacon. Jesus showing that he is the preeminent servant of all. He is the preeminent deacon of all. Quick side note, when you are, when one is ordained into the order of ministry, holy orders, you're never just made a priest, you are first made a diaconos. You're first invited 
to serve in that servant role that Jesus served in. And it's deeper and greater than just doing lowly things. Because Jesus would show that his diakonos role, his servant role, was to give his very life. Was to take upon himself the judgment of God for the sins of the world. I keep saying it over and over because I'm afraid in the United States of America, in the West, in Dallas, those of us who have grown up in the church, those of us who have grown up with the gospel, we're numb to it. Our ears are dead to the song of the gospel. I'll never forget the first time I heard Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Man, there's something about listening to Beethoven. There's a fire and a fury in the lines of the instruments, in the color of the orchestration. But that ninth symphony is something special. It's truly a crown, and it's a choral symphony. In the last movement, the orchestra plays through all the stuff, and finally, the choir comes in. And the first time you hear it, it is totally and completely exhilarating. So exhilarated was I by it that I bought the score so that I could analyze, why does it sound like this? What makes it do that? And at this time, um, we were expecting a baby who would be named Isaac, and I would take my Sony headphones and I would, <laughs> I would put the headphones uh, at close, close to the baby so that he could hear, sorry, <laughs> so that he could hear Beethoven because Beethoven might have stressed Amy out a little bit. He's a little intense. <laughs> but now when I hear Beethoven, when you hear that fifth symphony, da, 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 you know, you think of Fantasia or whatever, or some Looney Tunes, or even the ninth symphony, it's not as remarkable. And... It's a shame to say that the gospel in its beauty and its power, and I'm, th this is coming from me. I'm not putting this on you. So don't, don't let church guy put church guilt on church people. But I'm sharing this with you because it might be the case for you. But how often has the gospel for me been, oh yeah, I know that. Okay, yeah, okay, cool. The son of man took upon the, himself the judgment of God because the Father asked him to. He became a servant to all. More than that, he said you have to be like a diakonos or a doulos, a bondservant, someone who literally gives your life to someone else until they say, okay, you're free to go. And Jesus, blowing our minds, reorient, reorienting us to what love is, what service is, what sacrifice is, says this in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. In other words, if anyone could be served, if anyone would have right to have a couple of diakonoi around him or douloi around him, a couple of servants. 
He did not do that. Instead, he took upon himself that likeness of servitude and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom is a payment offered on behalf of someone who is in imprisonment, someone who is in servitude, or someone who is in some situation that they cannot get themselves out of. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to give himself as a ransom for many. He literally put himself in the crosshairs of God's wrath, lovingly, not begrudgingly. And he doesn't look to us now saying, what gives? Look what I did for you. He continue invites us to himself in his love. But he does this so that we might be set free. Free in an eternal sense so that no longer we face eternal separation from God, but also he sets us free now. By his wounds, the song of the servant says, we are healed. Friends, St. Bartholomew's is a place of healing. It is a place where God, sometimes in quick ways, in miraculous ways, but other times, and most often, in slow, steady, abiding ways, God is bringing his healing. God tells the people of Israel, I am the Lord who heals you. We may not be healed in this life of the trauma that we've experienced, but we are ultimately healed in the cross. And we can receive the healing that is given to us by his wounds. He wants us to ask. So we come back to the question. Again, this is me. How many times have I asked a stupid, impertinent question of God? Now, that's by my definition. God hasn't told me that's a stupid question, Jay. Shut up. That's not God's voice. If you think that's God's voice, I would tell you that is the voice of the enemy. God deals with us gently. God deals with us always in accordance with Scripture. How often have I asked a question that forgets the healing that I've been given? the ransom paid for me. And how often when I ask for healing for myself, my family, for any one of you, have I forgotten the great lengths of healing that Jesus has gone to? Jesus comes to heal. He does it by his death. It can look any number of ways. And there is hope in this life to be free of the things that bind us. There is hope to be completely filled with his Holy Spirit. But we also know that there is a greater 
fuller and final healing that is coming. And though we may be sorrowful, we may mourn in the face of a lack of it and that it's so far out and that it's in the distance. It is good. It is pure. It is beautiful. And it is ours. And no one can take it away. We sang it earlier. One with himself, I cannot die. I am purchased by his blood. God, him, God himself on high is calling us to himself. By his wounds, we are healed now and ultimately. Hmm. So my question for me today, and if it's applicable to you, I invite you to ask yourself, how has your heart grown cold? Not just to the gospel or the message, but how has your heart grown cold to Jesus. What are the things that I've put in the way of relationship with him? Oh God, I really want this. Oh God, I really want that. And Jesus redirects me lovingly with kindness and says, you know, that might be beyond you, Jay. But right now I give you myself. He gives us himself and he is the Lord who heals. By his wounds, we are healed. Let us pray. Father, we confess to you that we are broken. That we are in deep need of healing. And we thank you that you do not break a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. That the wrath and the judgment that we have deserved was already put upon you. Lord, we give you our brokenness and we receive back your hope. We pray that you would smile down upon us in your goodness and your mercy. That you would shed abroad your love in our hearts by your Holy Spirit. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that on the other side of that cross was a resurrection. And that you have trampled down death by death. Forgive us for not living like that. And thank you for the, your ascension and the out pouring of your Holy Spirit. Come now, Holy Spirit, and affirm the truth of God in the word of God, in the life of the people of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.